welcome to the show. We don't know what its name is yet. Yeah, welcome to... This is... Beep! This is episode one, season one. (gasps) We're going straight in on the seasons. Because (laughs) why not be aspirational right from the off? I believe in you. I believe in you. And we are aspiring to have full seasons. (laughs) Right, so do you want to tell me who you are? So I am Nick Field. Do you want to tell me who you are? Hello, I'm Rebecca Biscuit. Nick Field, what do you do? Um... That is a good question. I um, <laughs> I do stuff on stage. For example? Uh, for example, uh, shows, gigs, uh, shenanigans. A little bit um, of music, a little bit of drag. A little, a little bit of music, a little bit of drag, a little bit of uh, sort of... Masturbating contempt- that thing that you made me wank off on stage. <laughs> Which, yes, for context, <laughs> that was um, a unicorn dildo filled with glittery unicorn semen that I did make you wank off and, and uh, shoot unicorn semen all over me. Yes. But it was art. It was performance it was, art. It was art. And how about you? What do you do? I am a performance artist uh, and one half of a duo called Shit Theatre. And up until lockdown, we were touring uh, around the country and around Australia and the States with our shows. And now I live in this room, which has no windows. Oh, yes. (laughs) The world has locked down. But eventually, uh, when the lockdown ends, I'll be up and out again. And I also do weird performance art stuff. And together, we also do uh, Biscuit and Field. And we we make things on stage as well. We do. Uh, We made a show last year called oh fuck what was that show called <laughs> on hit play it was called what was it called fucking paid paid fantasist paid fantasist we had a hit show called paid fantasist <laughs> that played to literally tens of people literally i think on some night tens of people <laughs> around, around the we taught the camden area <laughs> um, uh, well, specifically one area of Camden. Yeah, but we did theater. move backwards and forwards across the stage. So we did move in backwards. In a way, you could call it a tour. <laughs> so it was touring the stage of Nick, the theatre in Camden. don't put us down. We spent no. a week in Basingstoke. <laughs> we did. And a week in Berlin, to be fair. We two did. Weeks we spent in a... Berlin, yes. actually. And which do you feel was the more glamorous of the two? Uh, so between was it uh, Basingstoke, Basingstoke and Berlin? Well, Berlin. let's break down our time in Basingstoke. I was <laughs> <laughs> in digs uh, with a woman whose main job was to lend out her corgi to people with dementia <laughs> to stroke, and she did not have the internet and did not believe in heating because it was too expensive. And I think we went to Weatherspoons twice. We and did I may, go have, to go- I may have gone alone on another night. <laughs> We did go to Witherspoons twice, and um, yeah, I think we we explored Basingstoke to its fullest. Yes. Um, and who needs eating? It was the dead of winter, but <laughs> who needs eating? You know, I, I think. think we said at the time, it was very nice to be able to focus on our art because there was literally nothing else to distract you. Nothing to distract you in Basingstoke. That yeah. is the case. I mean, lovely place. Let's lovely. not... Lovely oh, place. Big shout and out. Then, and then just to just to just to contrast and compare uh, <laughs> Berlin, <laughs> we also spent a week in. Um, and Berlin. We got to do. I, I feel like 
everyone, I feel like every performance art duo at some point should go skinny dipping in a lake in Berlin, right? A hundred percent. That I was feel like that, our baptism. That was... that was like, yeah, it was a baptism. It was a coming together of worlds. It was all of that. It, I saw two nude women and a terrier puppy float past on an inflatable mattress with a parasol, all three of them asleep, and thought, well, this this can't get any better. This is the place. This is the place. So, Basing, Stoke to Berlin, all yeah. the places I've been in, I was hunting for love. <laughs> um, and instead we found each other. Instead, we found each other. And um, so we were talking about... Because um, we, we, we're we making this podcast from lockdown. We are currently uh, in the midst of a pandemic. Mm-hmm. And we were talking a bit about how much we were missing performance and live music and things like that. And it led us to talking about uh, gigs that we've been to that we really loved. And then that, that led to this idea to to make this podcast. Do you, want, do you want to tell us a little bit about what this podcast is? Yeah, so as... Uh... Uh, our massive tour of Camden, Basingstoke and Berlin suggests we yes. too are touring artists and so we're looking from our slightly smaller world tour to some of the big seminal gigs and world tours by artists which we haven't actually seen ourselves. So we're going to look at seminal performances from pop and disco and rock and soul history uh, and see what we think of them from the perspective as touring artists and of fans. Yeah. And are you are you a, a fan of the gigs? Do you like a live music experience? I love I love a live music experience, apart from the fact I'm five foot two. And so most live music experiences are not built for me. <laughs> Hence why I like, I, like a, I like a Union Chapel sit down. Uh, oh, I love a sit down at a concert. Oh, oh, do we have to sit down? And you sit down, you're like, you grumble a bit and you sort of look at each other like, oh, there's not no good. mosh pit. Oh. oh, sad. It's such the atmosphere is terrible now that we're sat oh. down. How about you, Nick? I love I love gigs. I, I mean, I love I love music. Music is uh, really central to my existence. And um, yeah, I think some of the the sort of like most amazing moments of my life have been at gigs. I think. I, yeah. I, and and of course, at the moment, mm. um, we cannot experience the joy of live gigs, which is one of the reasons that we wanted to explore the joy of recorded gigs and also um, gigs that are kind of seminal in uh, music history but also our iconic moments um in the careers of of major musicians yeah and i guess iconic moments in sort of wider cultural cultural sort of memory and cultural movements as well yeah absolutely so so music as a cultural phenomenon and gigs as a cultural phenomenon is what we're really interested in um and um i think we both as people who are performers, uh, who uh, music is part of our work, who have toured, um, but on maybe, uh, well, definitely on a smaller scale <laughs> than the gigs we're going to be talking about. <laughs> um, I think it's, I, I think that they I think, because I'm fascinated by how people put shows together and the, the how they're made and the construction of them and the the influences of them and um and we're both I think very interested in um cultural history and um sort of unpicking yeah. those things so I think that's why um we wanted to make this podcast and and make that opportunity to talk about these things perhaps do you want to share who our first uh our first artist is and the first gig. Yeah, yes. So the first artist we're looking at, we are starting, we're starting big. 
We are massive. massive. We are starting with uh, Madonna's Blonde Ambition Tour. And this specific gig is uh, in France in 1990, and it is the final, final show of a 57-show world tour. Yes. So um, Blonde Ambition um, was supporting Madonna's um, Like a Prayer album and also... um, the Dick Tracy movie, the soundtrack of the Dick Tracy movie. <laughs> Hence the Dick Tracy heavy section in the middle of this, yes, which we will get to. Which we will talk about. <laughs> um, and uh, the, the tour started uh, in April 1990 and ended in August uh, 1990. Um, yeah. And we are looking at this, uh, the final gig of the tour, which feels really poignant, I think. Yes, this is the end of a tour which... The Pope, Pope John Paul II, had called one of the most satanic shows in the history of humanity. Hey, well, let's be buying a ticket. (laughs) I know, right? A number of the shows have been cancelled in Italy as well. And I think the Canadian police showed up in case she did the masturbation scene and threatened to arrest her and her dancers. So it was a huge tour that had been the centre of a massive controversy throughout. There was controversy throughout. There were protests across Italy and um, uh, Pepsi had pulled out as the sponsor. Oh, yes. Um, So, yeah, so she was supposed to have done an advert with Pepsi, but then I think she gave them like a prayer and didn't forgot to mention to Pepsi that her music video version of Like a Prayer was going to be a little bit more burning crosses and masturbating making with out with Jesus. making out with black Jesus yeah. than she had previously suggested it might be. Yes, and they were a bit like, well, this isn't going to sell our pop soda. Yeah, and the Pope actually said, do not buy Pepsi. <laughs> <laughs> to Catholics. Oh, wow. He'd made the A to C leap that... Masturbation is bad. Madonna masturbates. Madonna is advertising Pepsi. Guys, don't drink drink Pepsi. Pepsi. (laughs) Um, And um, Madonna at this point was really at the height of her career. So um, this this came off the back of uh, Vogue being a massive hit. Um, And uh, I think it was a number of, of gigs that she'd done, a number of tours that she'd done, but this was certainly her biggest. Yeah. And actually it ended up being one of the biggest tours, I think, up until that point of all time. I think only Michael Jackson, apart from her, certainly the biggest selling female tour of all time yeah. by this point. It made, uh, box office, it made 62.7 million at the time, which is 122.7 million um, today. Woo! So it did pretty well. Um, <laughs> the gig that we're watching, the particular gig from the tour, was uh, broadcast live on HBO. And it's also, was made exclusively available on Laserdisc. Yes, (laughs) which, I mean, I know I've still got Laserdisc. (laughs) Which is why I assume everybody has a copy. Get your Laserdisc players out, ladies. So it's hard to to find as a a physical object, but uh, it is accessible on YouTube. Um, and essentially all of the gigs that we're going to be watching will be available, uh, to find on YouTube. So if you or just, laser disc. Or, or laser disc. so if you just Google, uh, Bond Ambition Tour 90 Madonna, uh, remaster Nice, then you will, uh, find on YouTube the, the, the gig that we watched. Yes. You don't speak French, do you? 
But yeah, so interestingly, you know, yeah, French, French do you? you? <laughs> There's quite a lot of French speaking in it. She's in Nice. Mm. Um, yeah, she does. Uh, and um, the reason for that is because at very early in her career, she had lived in France for a, a while. I did not know that. Yes. And so uh, she, she speaks French. Um, she has she been. Does, she does. She speaks French. Je suis la chef. Yeah. Je suis la chef. <laughs> she'd been taken there um she'd basically uh been taken there on a production deal um uh by some french producers who wanted to kind of create her as a pop star in france um but it didn't work out and uh she left but she lived there i think for six months came away with some language skills some language so wasted skills. opportunity for Madge there. Yes. Um, and what... Uh, so Madonna, obviously, uh, has been a, a, a cultural force, a phenomenon um, for uh, um, at least 30 years more. Uh, what's yeah. your relationship to Madonna? This is a very good question. I was thinking about this today. And my earliest memory of Madonna, I think because um, of when I was born, the first knowledge I really have of Madonna is when she was like deep into her cowboy phase. Uh-huh. Her, 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 her sadly forgotten or gladly forgotten cowboy phase. And I think the first song I knew of hers was Beautiful Stranger, uh-huh. which she made for the Austin Powers 2 theme track. Yes. Uh, just slightly after her ray of light kind of era, which is her like um, William Orbit, slightly electronic, more like esoteric sound which i was actually really into the ray of light album yeah so i wasn't a massive fan of the cowboy boots wasn't a huge fan of beautiful stranger ray of light i loved and then uh like a prayer uh was when i saw the video for that i'm not sure how old i was but i went to catholic school and it really stays with you catholicism I like oh. it pretty much every note and remains one of my favorite songs wow i did not know you went to catholic school oh it's yes it's, so any, anything with priests, anything with the devil, anything, when she puts that nun's habit on, I'm here for it. Yes. I'm here for all of that. When, honestly, when the fucking, we'll get to it, but a, a stained glass window falls from the ceiling during, uh, during this gig. And I was, I think I exclaimed out loud. Yes. She literally wanks off at one of those swingy incense things. And then she like, she, there's like a thing called a prie which is like a, basically a table you lean on to pray okay and through, she does one entire song i think it's oh father she does yeah. an entire that number like like prostrate like kind of she could be praying or she could be bending over that's the Great. the vibe of that bit oh yes. good well, here, I mean, here for madonna and catholicism yes Dress up like a priest yes please yes please well i'm yes, i'm please. i'm very excited to get your um your angle then on the whole religious act which yes. is uh i believe act two of um the blonde ambition tour four or five yeah acts, um how about you nick tell me about your um your history with madonna well so I uh, also I think I got into Madonna around about the Ray of Light phase. Although I did yeah. remember also that I wrote my university dis- dissertation on Madonna and no. uh, female no, reinvention. Yes, I did. I'm sure. What it's... was the title? Oh, I can't remember. It was definitely something about like reinvention. Um, I'm sure what, it was a study? lot of utter wank. Uh, Theatre. <laughs> Um, so yeah uh i've I've never read it i'm sure it's utter toss 
But, oh, no, um, you should have dug it out. But, yeah, maybe, maybe I'll... I don't know. <laughs> but uh, I don't know where it is. But uh, that was my... So my dissertation was on uh, Madonna and reinvention. Um, and, I can't believe uh, you wrote a paper on Madonna. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure utter wanky nonsense. You are a Madonna scholar. Madonna scholar. I mean, I got her first, but hey. So, and... <laughs> um, um, uh, so... Yeah, so I did that and um, I think Ray of Light was definitely my way in. It sort of hit my kind of like slightly esoteric phase right on the nose. Mm-hmm. Um, I've also encountered Madonna in the wild. Uh, please, please go on. <laughs> when I say the wild, I mean uh, Selfridges. Um, you, you've, I, oh, when you, this is when you worked on the counter, the makeup Yeah, so I, I used to work no, carrots, in, wasn't it? I used to work in Selfridges on... I worked in Harrods and Selfridges on the perfume counter. Right. Um, Harrods are hated. Selfridges are quite like because sexy people came in. But uh, one day I was walking, like, well, I was walking to work and uh, Madonna went past me on her bike. <gasps> so no. she, lived, she lived in the area at the time. Um, so that was my encounter with Madonna in the wild. And oh. as we go through, I've also got some secondhand Madonna stories, so I can share those as we oh as we go yes, along please. um i've also seen madonna twice i've seen two madonna gigs which one um, today so i saw the drowned world tour uh yeah. which um uh i watched a bit of the other night on video and i don't think i don't think it's her finest i think that mm. it's what, um, what era madonna is this so that is kind of like after ray of light madonna so it should have been like the one. I don't think it necessarily was. I mean, I, I loved it at the time, but the um, the guy I was seeing at the time, he actually took a call from his mother during Frozen. And I thought to myself, she might be Frozen, but this relationship is sure on thin ice. Yes, Nick! Yes. <laughs> um, and in fact, that was the end of that. Um, really? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that. I mean, that's a, you, don't, you don't take a call from your mother during Frozen. You know wow, what I'm saying? So, so many. Yeah, so many, so many red flags. About uh, that. So many red flags. Um, and the other gig that I saw was um, Sticky and Sweet. Uh, which was um, so directly after this one. Which was after, after which was the Hard Candy tour. So it was. It's quite a long time after. It's probably like ten, fifteen years later, maybe even more. Yeah. Um, and um, it was at Wembley Arena. The you know the really really big Wembley, which has got yeah. like thousands. Of, so we were right at the back. Um, so at the time, I think the problem was that it was almost like. You could see the screen, you could see her mouth move, and then it was so, you were so far back, like three seconds later, you heard the actual music. It was oh, like, God. it just, you were so far away from it. But I watched it last night, and I mm. actually think it's really, really great, and it's kind of up there. With this, with Yeah, I think it's a really brilliant gig, and she's phenomenal. I mean, she's absolutely phenomenal in it. <laughs> I just remember, I found the rider for the Sticky and Sweet tour. Oh yeah, Sweet what's it got on it? It's um, it's from the Smoking Gun website. Do you know Smoking Gun? I do not. It's uh, well, it's lots of like industry go- gossip, but the riders, yes. is people leaking riders, so that's they have the they have the actual photocopies of the riders and then analysis Amazing. of the riders. Amazing! I love a rider leak. Oh, it's so good. List after list of like they've got them separated out into all these different things. But her rider was like, oh, hang on, 
pass my book. So Madonna's Rider for the sticky, sweet and sticky? Sticky, sticky sweet. and sweet. Sticky and sweet. It could be either. Sweet and sticky, sticky and sweet. It <laughs> works like either it. way. So she has 200 people that she brings with her. Uh-huh. 200. Uh, 200 people. Wow. Uh, including her yoga teacher, her acupuncturist, 30 bodyguards, her dry cleaner, her vegan chefs. She needs 20 international phone lines installed into her dressing room. Um, oh she wants her furniture to be draped and she wants white lilies with their stems cut to exactly six inches. Yeah, well, if it's seven inches, it's not right. Yeah, bin it. You know what I'm saying? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, We all prefer feels... it to be six inches or smaller. <laughs> <laughs> no. I mean, that... Um, that I mean, that feels like slightly unambitious. I would have thought that there'd be more. I want more like M&Ms. I want more like puppies. I don't think she eats. Yeah. Um, wow. I mean, 200, 200 people. 200 people. I mean, a lot that, of people is, that is fairly substantial, isn't it? As a number of people. How many people did we bring to our Camden tour? I think maybe it was just us. There was one. We had a... Pete was teching. Oh yeah, we also had had our tech manager. Yeah. yeah so, um, um, do we have a rider? I don't think so. Have you ever had a rider? No. Um, I think one time probably someone left a can of a half an <laughs> empty can of coke in me for a dressing room. <laughs> we actually um, did. We one time uh, a theatre in Ipswich. Not to brag. Oh, Ipswich. Uh, said, do we want anything? Do you want a rider? And so we said, can we have some beer and chocolate? And we arrived, and there were two warm Coronas and two bars of dairy milk. We're like, well, <laughs> this is still better than anything we've ever had before. And then they took that it out of our um, took it out of our feet. Rider. They charged you for the rider. Yes. Oh no, you cannot charge <laughs> the rider. <laughs> wow, that is. Well, dark. we made it. We made yes. it. <laughs> Finally, hospitality laid on. Yeah. Oh no. Oh, oh that's no. terrible. What yeah. a disappointing rider moment. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, dressing room. So lilies and dressing rooms. I mean, what's the worst dressing room you've ever oh, you've ever God. been in? Well, the amount of dressing rooms that we've had that are actual just toilets. I mean, you mm-hmm. do a lot of stuff of that on the way up or on the cabaret scene or when you're doing like, yes. especially like late night club gigs and stuff like that. Yes. There's a lot of, uh, yeah, toilet, painting your face in the toilet, that sort of yes. stuff. Yes. Yeah. Yes. How about you? Um, I once, uh, the, the dressing room was essentially both a, a cupboard with the boiler in it mm. and a kitchen with a fridge <laughs> in it. And that was the, the only light was from the fridge. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to have the fridge door open in order to, um, actually see anything. <laughs> Uh, and I had to sit there with um, a little mirror and put on my, my little bit of makeup oh, um, uh, by the fridge light. Oh, we did share a dressing room with a goat one year in Edinburgh. We would have to share because the show after us had a live goat in it. And we would have to. Of course, have because to keep, it's Edinburgh. Because it's Edinburgh. And uh, we had to keep all of our stuff away from the goat because goats chew, I guess. <laughs> and shit. Wow. So the, the goat was just there while you were getting ready. The handlers of the goat would bring the goat. And then yeah. have the goat ready because, you know, the turnover for shows. And also the goat needs to prepare, it needs to warm up, it you needs know, to meditate. It needs to get into the mind, it needs to make sure its yes. lilies are exactly six inches, that sort of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> needs to do its vocal warm-ups. <laughs> wow. <laughs> 
goodness me, that the the life we've led in performance. Um, I'm still waiting for the day that I can order lilies at six inches. Speaking of glamour, should we um, yes. get into Blonde Ambition? Let's get into Blonde Ambition. Right. Um, so... We we are at Nice. It is August the fifth, nineteen ninety. Yeah. Um, and uh, we have the opening of now. I love an opening. Yeah. Of a of a show, I'm I'm really I'm really always fascinated <laughs> by openings. Um, and I think there is something. I think there is something really really significant about how someone chooses to open a show. I think it's. I think it just uh, sort of makes it. And um, what are you? What was your take on the on the opening? So this uh, opening is uh, the beginning of the blonde ambition thing, but also the beginning of uh, the section which is themed uh, after Metropolis, which is a German expressionist film by Fritz Lang. I don't know if you've seen Metropolis. Uh, I have. I it, yeah, I saw it years and years ago. Um, but it's like a it's a silent film from the twenties or thirties, set in a dystopia where there's a kind of a, a world above ground and then a world below ground. And it's like a kind of a class system where they have these workers and the people that live above them. What we get at the beginning is we get a lead in. We've got these huge uh, industrial, this a huge industrial set and these these cogs that are turning these kind of industrial wheels. Um, but it's really sexy, I think, the beginning. It sort of uh, starts to build. There's lighting. Uh, the shirtless the, men. The, the shirtless men all oiled up, they start to sort of come in. Um, and so essentially the stage is being set. It's absolutely being set for Madonna to come on. Um, and I really think that this is one of the most sort of phenomenal and iconic openings of all time for a gig. Absolutely incredible. I just, it's breathtaking. It's by far one of the best openings of anything I've ever seen. Same. I'm just absolutely blown away by it. Yeah. And, uh, and so we have this build up of dances, um, and the music gets more and more frenetic. We've got that amazing, I just love those kind of nineties kind of, uh, percussions that yeah. come in, that kick in. We've got some samples of Madonna's voice. And then there she is at the top of the stage, top of the stairs, um, in a suit looking live. Oh, amazing. Stunning, absolutely commanding from the, from the beginning, from the off. Um, and creating these kind of iconic, uh, this iconic image. Yeah, so it's like a masculine um, suit, but she's got like a corset, like a visible corset with suspenders on underneath it. So she's a me- and she's got like full, like Marilyn Monroe. It's that blonde. And it's like by this point, she's gone like little blonde curls rather than the blonde ponytail. But it's like yes. red lipstick, blonde. So it's like masculine, feminine. Yes. Like it's, yeah. The costume is uh, business at the front and party at the boobs. Yes. And also party kind of flapping around the genitals area as well. Yes, because we've got part of the gold corset um, sticking through the the, the pointed uh, gold corset. And earlier in the tour, um, the hair had been the kind of the iconic um, up ponytail, which had been replaced because um, (laughs) it it kept getting caught in the mic. In the Madonna mic, Uh, as it's In the Madonna mic. And of course, uh, the Madonna mic, um, one of the, it's become synonymous with that tour and with that uh, performance, which allowed freedom of movement. Um, and my first borrowed Madonna anecdote, 
is that, uh, yes, is that a friend of mine worked in a TV studio where Madonna came in to record, around the Frozen period, came in to record a um, a version of Frozen for Japanese TV. Mm -hmm. And uh, my friend said to her, uh, would you like, they had one of those mics, one of the those mics waiting, the kind of um, the hands-free mics, and said, uh, would you like one of these? And she went, no, that's yesterday's pizza. <laughs> so that's my, one of my borrowed Madonna stories. I like yesterday's pizza. I like yesterday's pizza. It's always good in the morning for breakfast. Yeah, but Madonna um, does not like yesterday's pizza. She that's does not like yesterday's you. pizza. Yeah, she's always moving on. Um, so we have this uh, this incredible um, image of uh, the masculine, the feminine, um, subversive. We have the, uh, the the blonde ringlets, these sort of iconic blonde ringlets. Um, and we go straight into Express Yourself. Oh, so good. After she's done a little bit of French, she shouts at them, do you believe in love a number of yes. times? And are you ready? And then yes. express yourself. Yes. And I feel that they are ready. Yeah, they sound ready. They look ready. They sound ready. I think the audience is whipped up into a frenzy or just as soon as she comes on. Yeah. Um, and uh, express yourself. I mean, it's the dancing, I think, in this is absolutely incredible. Yeah. It's precise. It's live. Um, it's, it's very playful. It's, so the choreographer is a guy called Vincent Peterson, and it's mm. very kind of there are some definite like mj moves going on and he actually did michael jackson's bad tour just around the same time right. so he's the same it's the same kind of got the same quality to it but it's wild she's such a brilliant dancer yeah this and that was the thing that really came out that struck me from watching this video was what an incredible dancer yeah yeah she's got mad skills she's clearly i mean all of the reviews talk about how in shape she is, which is a stupid, it feels like a stupid thing to repeat, but you're looking at someone who looks like an elite athlete. And, yeah, absolutely. And who is using the kind of body of an elite athlete to be able to do the kind of dance moves that she can do and also sort of sing along. Yes, and we'll come to that as well. <laughs> uh, but I, I just, I think that the, the thing that leapt out for me was, uh, you know, it's sexy, it's a bit grubby, but there's... The, there's these very um, strong, iconic movements. Um, there's a lot of sort of very masculine movements. There's a lot of um, sort of strength. And then there's kind of like some simulated sex going on. Yeah. It's And it's kind of doing that thing that a musical does where you're kind of experiencing everything that you're going to experience in the musical in the first uh, three minutes. Yeah. And that's, I, I sort of felt, feel like that's what she's doing is sort of setting up what we're going to be experiencing throughout the whole arc of the gig. Yeah. Do you feel that this is after this long tour, this is someone going through the motions or do you feel that this is someone who's really in it? I think from watching it, you, the, the amount of the energy she has, even when she's mm. in between dance moves, she literally bounces from like side to side. And I don't know how you feel at the end of a tour, at the end of runs and stuff. And I, maybe I'm reading into what I'm seeing there, but I think she's absolutely delighted and is having the time of her life at this gig. Yeah, and I, the energy giving off the whole of them. She even says, this is the last time. And it's, yes. it, it feels fizzy. The whole thing is fizzy with like this yes. energy that she's uh, got from being able to do it really well. From, it, from being worshipped every night, that will give you a certain amount of energy, I'm sure. From, yes. <laughs> from people telling you like you're the sexiest you're the most incredible you're a groundbreaking artist you're beautiful 
people shouting your name yes. every night and then the, just the thrill of getting to the end of it. And from uh, the kind of the documentaries and the reports afterwards, it seems like she and her dancers and the two uh, backing singers and dancers are a really tight group of people because they made the documentary Truth or Dare <laughs> sort of about that time and about that group of people. So essentially like a bunch of really hot people nailing their jobs and at the end of a long, yes. long working session and who are about to have a fucking massive party afterwards. Yes, because the dancers are just incredible yeah. as well. You know, everything about it, it's, it's a, it's a well-oiled machine. And one of the dancers, um, I read said that the, uh, rehearsals were like boot camp. Um, and, uh, you can really see that they are absolutely inhabiting what they're doing, but they just are all completely on top of it. It's really, um, the opening, I think, is just the most incredible, uh, launch into this iconic gig yeah. and um and also fun i mean it's yeah it's just compelling i wasn't um i'm not a fan of madonna but i wasn't sure there's a lot of feelings i think especially now we've seen her horror of horror of mm. age in front of people or now in the era yeah. of social media where she has enough of a platform to embarrass herself um on yes. instagram that your, your sort of feelings about her as a person uh, might have definitely were definitely very mixed but watching that she's fucking charming she's a delight yeah, she's an really, absolute delight she's a delight that, and that's the really interesting thing about it is is how playful it is and i think uh because it's so iconic um and there's so much control in it and often what we, the sort of the imagery we saw of it because i'd never watched this all the whole way through until um watching it for this podcast um i was just really struck by how sort of how much heart there is in it yeah yeah. Um, and you're right about the silliness because there's something about its iconic status or anything's iconic status and being iconic and being silly don't really go hand in hand. You expect something iconic to have, uh, like a weight or the ability to sort of muck around that she's clearly doing. Yes. You don't yeah, expect absolutely. that. No, I, it was, it really did take me by surprise. And, um, there's a sort of goofiness to it as well. Yeah. It gets goofier, which we will get to. Um, but at the moment, we're in um, Metropolis, aren't we? We're still in. We're Metropolis. We're theme. Metropolis in the in the first act. Mm -hmm. um, and the other interesting thing about this uh, gig is that uh, that pretty much all of the tracks are uh, faster than the recordings, yeah. and are much more pumped up. So this is a this is a faster more pumped up version of express yourself um there's oh, a lot more so kicks in well. the drums it's so good it's just <laughs> phenomenal I, I think this is probably the hype for me of the entire gig is this opening oh that's interesting not because i don't think the gig is great i guess we haven't yes. actually asked each other what do we think i think it's a great gig yes um, yes but i think it does it never tops this express yourself as a track the way it's done the dance moves her look particularly and mm -hmm. the energy you get from watching her come out onto stage. Yeah, like it's absolutely phenomenal. Completely. Um, and so then we move on. Um, we, we're straight into, um, open your heart. Yeah. Um, which again is, uh, is, uh, sped up and made into more of a dance number yeah. than the recorded version. Um, uh, and, uh, it's, it's got this kind of fast nineties bouncy beats. Yeah. 
Um, it's I just think it's absolutely joyous. What was your What were your thoughts on it? I'm, I'm really enjoying. This is when you start to sort of see her relationship with her the two women who are on stage with her, like yes. Nikki Harris and Donna Deloria. Their names and they're her backing singers and backing dancers for this, and also for like a number of other gigs for like the next 10 years, yeah. I think. And they're also in a band together. <laughs> then third song after Open Your Heart, she puts on this little weird cardigan and little gloves. Thank yes. you, Jean-Paul Gaultier. Causing a commotion. <laughs> yeah, she's into causing a commotion. And has this sort of weirdly, like weirdly chaste, like sapphic thing with her two dancers that then turns into her the- beating them up. Yeah, so she, so yeah, so they sort of have this weird fight for, we don't really know why, <laughs> but they basically launch into this quite kind of cartoonish, <laughs> scrap essentially there's lots of pratfalls there's lots of tumbling around yeah. um we're not quite sure why they're fighting but they're just gonna yeah um, so she's got these two women like like she's beating them up and they're on the floor and she madonna's going just we love chef and you're like i'm not sure why <laughs> she's taking out on these two women in particular <laughs> Yes, there's no particular Well, they were just getting reason. on so well just before. <laughs> yes. Um, but what I like about this moment um, is we've gone through um, uh, Open Your Heart, and uh, which is, again, quite a slick dance-based number. And then here, we're, it sort of breaks down the kind of... Um, the, the iconic sort of structural architectural movements of express yourself. And suddenly we're in this kind of goofy slapstick. Yeah. With, with a lot of swearing and, and random French talking. <laughs> like, even within the Metropolis theme, which is quite a heavy mm. film, it's quite a heavy theme of, like, class-based systems of oppression <laughs> and yes. German expressionism. But even within the class-based systems of oppression, she still manages to have a laugh. Yeah, I think she, um, she, I think what it, it, it's interesting how quickly she's, she's keen to kind of break down yeah. the, um, the, the sort of iconicness of it and just make it kind of fun and, and a bit stupid and slapsticky. And then she goes um, off into, Madonna goes off into, based on, uh, Je suis la chef and beating these, uh, yeah. Donna and Nikki up, she goes on to a sort of a, make a joke about Trump, visionary. Yes. A joke about Roseanne, yes. visionary. Yes. Yes. No, I actually think that this, uh, this patter moment that happens where she's talking to the crowd and, but also to the HBO audience because this is being beamed live to, yep. um, audiences in America. And capture from Yeah. Or, or you can watch our latest disc. Um, I think is, is kind of an incredible moment because she basically says to America, um, take, take a joke. Like she sort of satirizes, America. I think essentially there have been lots of complaints about her swearing and crotch grabbing, crotch grabbing uh, in previous uh, recordings. Um, so the controversy of the of the, uh, the the concert had sort of been fairly wide, um, and so she's kind of saying to America, just lighten up, take a joke. This is all meant in good fun. Um, but I think it's quite interesting how she then. Uh, says, you know, let's talk about things that are more serious, like what's going to happen with Donald Trump's divorce. Yeah. She's like, she talks about, I guess that's the first divorce because she mentions Ivanka, like how much Ivanka's going to get in the divorce. Yeah. And the the Roseanne, uh, her going, leave Roseanne alone or just take a joke, America, is apparently because Roseanne had very recently been asked to sing the national anthem at something and had just gone like and brave taking the piss and then had grabbed her crotch a la madonna uh-huh. 
in a kind okay, of Okay, and then everyone got mad about it, of And course. everyone got mad at Roseanne for taking the piss out of the national anthem and mad at Madonna for inspiring Roseanne to grab the torch. <laughs> <laughs> so she's basically telling America to take a joke. Just lighten up. Um, <laughs> to lighten up. And then she's also basically referencing Trump as like the most trashy, ridiculous thing yeah. going. That, what a visionary moment from... What a visionary moment and also what a terrible premonition of the future when the tra- the trashiest thing going is the president of the United States oh, of America. Oh, God, because this is what, 30 years, 30 years old now? 30 years, so yeah. 30, 30 years, years pre... Year. So was it 26 years pre-Trump? Yes. And she's yeah. able to uh, isolate him as the joke that he is, the one joke she wants to make about her country. Yeah, 30 years previous. So, I mean, this is, I, I think that sort of pattern for me, I was just like, damn. But I, <laughs> What else did I you know, Madonna? Also, what, else, what else did you know? But also, I, th- I just think that's because she it sort of speaks to how culturally smart I think she is yeah. and was. Um, at the time. And so then we move into, uh, Where's the Party? Yes. Uh, which is another kind of like high energy dance number. And the thing that really stood out for me about this is when she dances backwards up some steps. Oh my God. Yes. Um, I was going to say exactly the same thing. Because I once broke my ankle walking down some steps quite slowly. (laughs) (laughs) And she, and she manages to dance up some steps very fast. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, watching this and, and like as someone who does performance and sometimes a tiny bit of dance and quite a lot of like live music, it's so Mm. hard what she's doing. Like, yeah. Even the stuff that looks easy. I mean, lots of, lots oh. of stuff looks hard and is hard. So she does like a back yes. bend in three dances at the same time. Her and the two female singers and dancers do a, a what's it called? Like synchronized back bend and pick up their jacket yeah. that they've left on the floor. Like that stuff is hard, but going backwards upstairs while singing while you're not checking where you're going. Yes. It's so incredible. Hard. Yeah. And, and it's, and it's just completely effortless. Yes. And she's not even wincing, which I just. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it takes me nowadays, it takes me about three minutes to get up if I'm sitting on the floor. <laughs> she, where is she? It's just like, boom, straight up those stairs backwards. Yeah. So that, uh, so where's the party? Uh, an incredible um, sort of high energy mm. dance moment. And I do have some notes in this sort of first section. Um, we were talking before, uh, I think we made this recording um, about some of the reviews and some also sort of general notes about her singing voice, which she's always been pretty open. She's always said, I'm not the best yeah. singer. I'm not the best dancer. Arguably, she's a fucking good dancer. She's, she's not an the, amazing dancer. She's not the best singer. And there are a number of these mm. tracks where she is a little bit off or like just not quite not quite there. It's not quite big enough. But a lot of them yeah. are, she's an alto and is singing. It's one of the lower ones where she's singing. And it's at the end of 57 Night Tour, she's going to be losing those yeah. low notes but also she's just she's singing and dancing and doing like the athletic kind of move she's doing i would yes. be dribbling out of my mouth and crying <laughs> i uh, well i mean essentially i would not have made it past express yourself <laughs> i would have fallen down the stairs <laughs> in, the, in the opening oh goodness like straight i would have come on and fallen down the steps i'd have said hello america do you believe in love and i'd have been straight down the steps i would have tried to undo the jacket and they just fallen backwards (laughs) so i'm impressed that she's actually managed 
she's able to walk and sing, yes. let alone dance and sing. Low it's standards kind of for incredible. our heroes, maybe, but it's still, maybe. I am impressed. <laughs> yes, massively impressed. <laughs> um, and I just think, you know, um, my feeling in this, in, in Where's the Party and throughout the whole thing, is that she just wants to give everyone there an amazing time. Yeah. I, I just feel that she wants to, she wants to give everyone a party. Um, and I, you know, I do wonder, I, with the vocals, I, do you think a lot, do you think there's, do you think there's uh, recorded vocals in there? I do. And there's like, there was a New York Times review of the time, at the time that suggests, heavily suggests that she's miming or lip syncing, mm. whatever word you want to use it, to a lot of the tracks because mm. she's upped her dancing game so high. Yeah, she's the way the reviewer describes it is that she's so much of a perfectionist that she won't even try to sing because it might mess up the dancing and the singing as well. Uh huh. Um, Yeah, there are definitely some tracks where she's singing because yes, on those ones you would we wouldn't record a track to sound like it was out of tune. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I also think that there is a lot more. um, I think there are probably more backing singers than than just uh, the two that are on yeah. stage. So I think there's a lot more vocal support as well going on. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so, so there's an interesting thing around lip syncing there. Yeah. Actually, so, Don, uh, Donna DeLore, yeah. um, just quickly, she in this interview today, mm. she said when she was auditioning to be Madonna's backup singer, uh, she was standing right next to Madonna and was asked to sing this song with her, Let Isla mm. Bonita or something like that. Uh-huh. And Madonna was like, can you sing? Are you singing? And she was like, yeah, I was singing with you. Madonna's like, no, you weren't. And it was that her voice had melded so well with Madonna's that Madonna oh. couldn't even tell that she was singing at the same time. So they have very similar like voices that meld really well together. Right. So I think she is doing a lot of the singing. The of back, the support. Of the support. And okay, you can, that's interesting. And you can really hear one of them is on a lower harmony, and especially like in this next mm. religious section, the like a prayer harmonies are absolutely amazing. I've never heard them yes. on the record. And someone is singing, one of those two women is singing a low part that is like, uh-huh. but I think uh, Donna DeLore might be backing Madonna up on the melody line. Okay, interesting, interesting. We're, we're straight into a, a massive change of pace from uh, Where's the Party? There's the, a chime... <laughs> And we are suddenly into Like a Virgin. And it is uh, the only uh, one which is slower than the original. So most of them, like you say, uh, they've upped the BPM mm. to get people moving. But this one, yes. she's doing a sort of, there's like kind of like a, uh, like Eastern drums, a slowed down version where she's on this big red bed. And there's yes. a slowed down version of Like a Virgin. This is the one that people were getting all het up about. This is the one that the Canadian police were supposed to arrest her for. Yeah, this was the one that, that was massively controversial because of um, the, the simulated masturbation. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and suddenly we're in this kind of queer boudoir. She's like the Sultan of Vogue. Yes. Um, the trousers are off. The, the So we've got the full corset. We've got the um, fishnet tights. Did we see how and... she got those trousers off? No. And that was the thing. Like, it was literally boom. Yeah. I mean, the, the movement between scenes, and this is the thing where I just think the technicality of it is so amazing, because literally, probably in the space of like four or five seconds, mm-hmm. 
There's like a chime. She's off the stage. The trousers are off. She's on the bed. She's suddenly yeah. the exotic sultan of like a virgin. Where did that bed come from? Bed's out the Where floor. did the bed come from? Amazing. It's, yeah, so the technicality of it and the, the, these incredible transitions. And in an interview, she said that uh, she wanted, part of making Blonde Ambition was that she wanted to satisfy her own, um, her, her own short attention span. <laughs> So everything is just like, boom, boom, boom. It's like, there's no stopping for a oh, moment. I, lo- I love a slick changeover. I absolutely love it. I think it's... And also the thing is, for me, this is the moment that it gets really interesting. Yeah. Because it goes super queer. It goes... Uh, re- it's it's massively subversive. Um, it was described uh, in a Guardian article recently as uh, a, a Freudian nightmare, this moment, <laughs> where um, Madonna is on the bed... With her aggressively um, pointy tits. Her, like, with her aggressively breasts. pointy tits. Phallic breasts. And she has two, uh, two very clearly queer-bodied mm. male dancers with her who are wearing um, these long, conical uh, breasts. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it, maybe it's a Freudian nightmare if you're a straight man, essentially. <laughs> but for me, I was like, yes. Like, for me, this is just when it all really just starts yeah. to get really interesting. So this is where the choreography, choreography for me, the, the brilliance mm-hmm. of the choreography really starts to show. Because the dancers, are, they're, they're sort of like, they're representations of kinetic energy. They, they're around her. Yeah. They they. They move in ways that kind of vi- that sort of seem to catch the vibrations of her body. It's just so beautiful to watch. Yeah, it's a great moment. Um, but not everyone uh, felt that way. And no. I'm going to just, I, yes. Is it the Pope? That. We're going to have the Pope again. It's not the Pope, but it's... Is it the Italians? It's, it's actually, funnily enough, there's a review uh, by Hilary Mantel. Oh, really? Of um, the... Uh, of the uh, uh, Thomas Cromwell novels mm. um, from from 1992, um, and she says, uh, "For anyone who wishes to become an adjective, Madonna is an inspiration." On stage, her little muscly body twists in itself in a parody of sensuality. Her mini sutan rides hip high. Her voice wavers on and off key, and we'll kind of give you that one. And and down she dips over the supine body of a spread eagled semi man. Semi-man? As, yeah. So, uh, so I feel that maybe... I mean, is there uh, a problem with LGBTQ people here that you want to discuss with us, Hillary? I think um, semi-man is really a... That feels like an incredibly queerphobic, transphobic... Yes. Okay, Hillary. Yes. Um, so, so there's something here mm. that uh, obviously... Uh, so for many people, this felt like a moment of celebration. Yeah. For others, um, maybe not it's so cer- much. It's, it's massively divisive, the whole thing. Like, yeah. amongst, like, uh, straight, angry people, amongst feminists, uh, and the way that she uses her body and the way she talks about herself as a woman and her use of sex. And there's also, like, stuff to be said about uh, race and her use of, uh, like, black culture and black dancers, yeah. uh, like, predominantly, like, people of colour that she has as her backing dancers in shadows a yeah. lot, slash crawling around on the floor, pretending to be slaves sometimes. Yeah, but- there's interesting stuff here around um, uh, the fact that a lot of the dancers had come from 
directly from um the the the, uh, the ball culture the voguing mm. ball culture um and that she had uh auditioned some of them in nightclubs um so that, that there's that there's sort of there are tensions here but yeah. but ultimately yeah, I'm not quite sure how I feel about that uh, review from Hilary Mantel there. Yes. I think the, um, the semi-man has uh, thrown me off respecting anything Hilary has to say. Yeah, I've, I've got, in fact, uh, the latest in the Thomas Cromwell novels yeah. is uh, is waiting for me on my my pile of books that I haven't read in lockdown <laughs> that I meant to. And maybe I might be going back to Waterstones uh, after that, after reading that review. Um, anyways, um, so we're in religion. Th- we're in religion. So we, uh, we move out of, uh, of like a, uh, of, um, like a virgin. And the last, the last moment of like a virgin is suddenly we hear, we hear the iconic God. God? That is the beginning of Like a Prayer. Oh, it makes me so excited. Oh, we, and we are God. straight into Like a Prayer. And suddenly the set changes into a cathedral. Um, uh, the dancers come on um, completely cloaked in black. Um, so sort of uh, looking like Catholic priests. Um, uh, the two, the two uh, accompanying singers... Um, Veiled. Kind of look like... Like none, yeah, they're veiled. Like full black uh, veil over the faces. Full, full black veils, and Madonna is now um, a sort of kind of priest-covered preacher. And what's interesting to think about it is we go from this really sort of sexual, um, very uh, this sort of uh, moment that builds and builds and builds with this kind of sexual frenzy energy, very kind of liberated, into suddenly it feels that the kind of the, the this kind of like religious fervor takes over yeah. and it feels much more contained. And I think there's an interesting thing where the energy sort of shifts into something that feels a lot more repressed. Oh, fervor's right though, because like some of the mm. the, the movements on this, again, the choreography, I, I, I love this song so much and I was never yeah, going to hate too. this bit. And they, they did it quite faithfully, I think, to the idea of like a prayer from its yes. single version. It's close to the single, the sort of... Um, the repressed sexuality and the use of a religious iconography is pretty close. Obviously, there's not any burning, not obviously, but there aren't any burning crosses. Yes. Um, Although I think there may have been in the um, the accompanying kind of video imagery that was maybe yes, being projected. Yes, there was. Yes, a little church on the on the on the video display. Yeah. Um, it's amazing. She looks amazing. It's a hard song to sing, and they are doing some yes. like full body lifts of her, including her like yes. horizontal. She's being held straight up in the air, and she's trying to sing, which does make her sound a little bit like Kermit because they are pressing on the yes. diaphragm, <laughs> and she's kind of like, there's a couple of moments like this. There's a, a few moments of, of vocal slippage, yeah. but um, I mean, I think it's absolutely beautiful. It's again, it's like a more souped up kind of bit more dancey version. Yeah. Um, there's so much layering in the vocals. Um, I think her voice sounds really phenomenal, particularly at the beginning of it. Yeah. I think she sounds incredible. It's just when she's being um, lifted. That they just... It's when she's being lifted. It's not easy to be. I mean, the many times that I've been lifted and sung. <laughs> You know, did I hold it together? I'm not yeah. sure. Um, there's in some of the choreography, it's a little bit hat on a hat. We've got um, feels like flying. She's lifted up, yep. um, and down on my knees. Well, she's down on her knees. She's right down. But, she's down there. But I do think that somehow it just feels like perfect. Yeah. It just fits the track. And some of it's not so hat on a hat. Like at the end, they've got it goes into this kind of Latin drumming. Uh, which they've had in different parts of this concert as well. And then she goes with this kind of like Sufi whirling thing, 
Like yes. where she's, where she's, she's singing and, and she's doing this like Sufi whirling. Like this is like pre-Madonna into Kabbalah, but she's getting this like, using notes of other religions, like Sufi is to Islam, like mm. what Kabbalah is to Judaism. So she's mm. borrowing, not just from Catholicism, but she's like nicking other bits of these like mystic religions yeah. and putting them into this choreography. Yeah, which is, which is sort of maybe a precursor to her interest in, in spirituality and esoteric religions later. Yeah, yeah but um, I loved it. And she's throwing herself on the floor. I'm all here for her being oh, thrown around on the floor. Yes. Oh, <laughs> I love throw it. yourself on the floor, Madonna. I, I mean, I sort of felt like it st- starts to feel a bit like an exorcism and I'm really here for that. <laughs> yes, sorry you know about I mean? that. I just, yes. I just love it. Oh I, th- I think I think Like a Prayer is one of my favourite Madonna tracks yeah. and I think that the version of it on Blonde Ambition is beautiful. Um, so we go from this, this sort of uh, really, again, another sort of ecstatic build-up, this sort of, sort of exorcism of Like a Prayer into Live to Tell. Yeah. And this is one of the, 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 the beginning of Live to Tell, the kind of like transition from Like a Prayer into Live to Tell, is one of the moments, probably the only moment in the whole gig of sort of semi-stillness. Yeah. And I don't know why, but it got me. Yes. Yes, I it actually, got me too. It, it actually made me go really goosebumpy yeah. and a little bit teary. And I'm not quite sure why. I think it's because it feels like the only moments of kind of vulnerability in it, mm-hmm. perhaps. Yeah. Um, it's also um, that 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 instrumental section is fully made up of those amazing '90s crystal shard sounds, which I'm I just love. I love a '90s crystal shard is sound. Is this the moment where the um the window, the stained glass window, comes down from the ceiling, or is that yes? Yeah. yeah. So and, well, like nothing much is going on apart from. I mean, an entire yeah, stained glass window falls from the ceiling. And then we go into um, Live to Tell. Yes. Um, Does that then go into Oh Father? Which goes into Oh Father, which again, Live to Tell and Oh Father, like, I think those tracks are just brilliant. That, yeah, it was really, it was really moving. And, and it's, that's it's, when she's... It's a she's, moving thing. Where she's like kind of leaning over this like pre-dure thing. This like, right. this sort of like wooden box thing, which is just like a... Like a prayer aid, like a tent. It's like a table yes. you lean over to pray onto. Yeah. So she's like really, she's she's laying into it physically and metaphorically at this point. And I, yes. but like I, I like the fact she's kind of holding herself up. It's like she's, you know, she fucking exhausted, and it's it's perfect. Yeah, and um, there's these beautiful harmonies that she's singing in it as well, and I think that really gets me when she's kind of she mm-hmm. sings the harmony parts in it rather than singing the main lead in it. And I think that's, I don't know why, there's just something about the the, the arrangement where she sings the harmonies, yeah. the harmony part rather than the main part. I just, I just think it's beautiful and it just, um, it just really gets me. It's very sort of dexterous. This is also the moment where there's a quick, she kind of, you may know this from your, your Catholic school background. What's the thing where they swing the incense? The incense is that where they swing when they're coming into mass. I'm not sure what the, the gold ball is I called. Yeah, I don't know what it's called, but there's this just this brilliant moment where she kind of like just basically wanks off the chain for no. She just they, I got, one of the dancers dressed as a priest swinging one of these things. She just grabs off the chain, gives it a good old hand. Maybe job. it's just second nature to her by this point. She's like, I'm Madonna. I masturbate things. That's my US yes. stage of my career. Yes, and uh, and why not? You would if you could. It's got um, look where it's got her. That is the second biggest selling artist on tour at the time. Exactly. We and, should but I think try these were the... wanking. Oh, I suppose you have, haven't you? That unicorn penis. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I've already, I've already done. But yeah, 
essentially being hosed down with unicorn semen from big unicorn dildos. I have been there. Um, uh, but so I, I think these are the kind of moments that I, I you can sort of see why maybe if you're really attached to Catholicism and maybe you're a pope, for example, those are the points of time kind of moments where you might start to get your knickers so in a twist. into it, isn't he? Yes. Um, and, and maybe why there were protests, etc. Uh, but we've, so we've got these, um, but we've Papa got these sex preach, game pro- which is coming yes. up next is a pretty Catholic track. I mean, I know she's had sex out of marriage, but she is keeping that baby, Nick. She's keeping that baby. Yeah. And we've got the sexy gay priest. We've got, I've got written here, we've got labial curtains. (laughs) I don't quite know what that meant, but, um. There's some draping. She likes to drape. There's some draping. It's all very sensual. So there's, there's these kind of, uh, clashes between this very sort of Catholic imagery and this sort of very sensual, um, imagery as well. Um, and then we're, um, so we're then, uh, out of the religious section after Papa Don't Preach, and we are then into the kind of Dick Tracy section. And the less about this, the better. section. Yeah, this is my weak spot. Yes. Um, in, I've got written here, me. meh. <laughs> this, yeah. Nick got dangerously close to electro swing at some point. Oh, yes, no. Now, mm-hmm. she's pel- she pelts off the stage at the end of Papa Don't Preach. We've got a full costume change. And uh, we're into this kind of sultry singer. Um, and we've got, uh, the track is um, Sooner or Later. She's in like a green, like sequined, floor-length kind of gown. It's kind of like Jessica yeah. Rabbity, like sort of cliched starlet, sort of slit up the side vibe. Yeah. And it's a sometime song. Yeah, because she's just done this film, this sometime film. Yeah. Yeah, she's done. Uh, she's she's come out to Dick Tracy. Mm-hmm. So this is this is com- featuring what was her and Mandy Mandy Patinkin, everybody's, <laughs> everybody's favorite everybody's favorite Patinkin, Mandy Patinkin. Oh, yes. So it's very Sondheimy this track. Uh, so yes. it's not like because it was written really by Sondheim. Yeah, it's not really a pop concert sort of thing. It was not one you expect it's or necessarily moment. welcome. No, no, I definitely could have lived without this. And the other thing that I think doesn't quite work about it is that she's sort of a sultry kind of cabaret-ish singer, but it just feels like she would kick your head in. Do you know what I mean? I just wasn't 100% sure what she was doing with it. And it did feel on on reading through the sort of research and the reviews that it was kind of there to sell the film. Right. And it was maybe, maybe that she was inspired by the film and so got into this kind of, this look and this kind of era or this feel, but I didn't know what she was doing with it. It didn't interest me. No, I think this is the moment where I sort of, if, if I was there, I would probably have gone to get a hot dog and a, and a beer. Um, <laughs> you are hot, are uh, you yeah, a, a snacker? At a, that's quite a long gig, isn't it? It's quite a long gig. I mean, yeah, I, I think you need to keep your energy up, don't you? Yeah, especially for what's to come, which is... For what's to come. If you're happy to skip through all of Dick Tracy... Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think Dick Tracy is kind of redundant as a cultural symbol now. Probably was then. I don't yeah. think the movie was that great. She uh, does did that a, much. She does at one point say, oh, do you mind if I do something naughty and I'm going to lip sync? 
that's the bit I like about it is that, that I like that moment where she does this kind of like fake sex. She sort of like does this like, we're going to be really naughty and do some lip syncing. And I just wondered if that was a bit of a play on the fact that people had yeah. accused her of lip syncing. Um, but yeah, so there's this kind of weird lip sync, which is when the kind of electro swing kicks in. Yeah. Um, could you date someone who was an electro swinger? No. That's no, a I think that would be no. that would be that would be a straight up no thank you. Um, so we move out of the Dick Tracy, um, and the the, the my, only my thing I like about Electro Swinger, and so is her husband. Oh, uh, really? Very happy. Oh well, good good for them, and and I'm sure there's wonderful Electro Swing moments out there, but uh, I don't want to find them. Um, so the thing that I enjoy about the Dick Tracy is section which i just think is a, is kind of a bit of a low point in the whole gig but um at the end of it it sort of goes into this weird dick tracy thing where the dancers are dancing together and they strip off these yellow macs and they're wearing kind of this lingerie underneath yeah it's like boots and, I, and lingerie I, and they look hot yeah the male dancers look they look amazing amazing yeah so i think um and there's sample there's sort of samples of the word dick over and over um, just to like labor that point um but um i i think so i think the, the it sort of saves itself by going uh into this really kind of like subversive queer moment so i i and the choreography around that is beautiful they're dancing together i think it's wonderful so she dashes off the stage at that point and then thank goodness we're into material girl and this is beginning supposedly of the uh, final section before what the the final the fi- this is the penultimate section the final section is just the theme is encore this section yeah. is art deco um which you get from a couple of sort of uh, boards which fl- uh, sort of fall down at the back it's kind of like art deco kind of cathedral-esque sort of uh, stage design and there's some mm. paintings there's some tamara Dim- limpica paintings which is uh one of uh madonna's favorite painters madonna owns a number of her paintings and she uh, was a yeah. kind of she was a polish uh, then american uh painter in the kind of she's been painting from like uh 20s and then was rediscovered again in the 60s um and mm. she was a kind of like bisexual party girl um and she uh like was huge and hugely successful in her time she wasn't like a van gogh ate rats and then died without anyone knowing her she was massively successful <laughs> and people and she sort of invented she was did a mashup of different styles like late cubist and figurative styles um and also she got a lot of flack for people going oh well she just makes a lot of money and she does like she just does she doesn't does do art she does decoration so there's a lot of kind of crossover right. in the way people talk about madonna and the sort of things that madonna has going on like kind of fluid sexuality and this like uh magpieing of different artistic styles and also the way people talk about madonna and the way she uh uses herself or her art as a product so there's a lot of crossover mm. you can see why madonna might be into her interesting um so so we're into this new section um and in material girl uh we go we go into these kind of like campy brooklyn accents yeah um, material girl it's adorable but and it's adorable the dance moves are all kind of like Outside. purposefully off <laughs> Uh, the the singing is purposefully off. Yeah, she's dressed like um, it's like she's just got a hair down. So she's got like a hair and rollers, and like she's doing with her two like backing dancers and singers uh, are yeah. there with her. So they're like girls' night out. It's like a girls' night out situation, um, yeah. and it, it's it's kind of goofy and 
like peak goof, I think, in the whole uh, gig. But it's kind of adorable, I think. I understand the Art Deco reference within uh, any of what she's doing there. Because, and also, no, there's the, not so much. The outfits are kind of, she's like a little purple frilly milkmaid, so I don't know what uh, yes. is doing uh, with this. It, even if Art Deco wasn't the reference, I don't really know what he's doing with it. <laughs> I hope she didn't pay too much money for that particular design. <laughs> <laughs> I think he wasted so all of his in, energy on the tits and then was like yes. nothing else yeah I mean I, I I love a bit of a Gautier moment and I, I think the um, you know the sort of the whimsy of the 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 <laughs> the uh, costumes throughout is just so so delightful and the kind of playfulness of it and i think it it that that sort of lends this kind of playful edge to everything that's going on in the gig yeah. um and i think they had a very close relationship uh and uh, worked very closely together to um create the costuming he he uh Im- implied in interviews that uh, she was difficult but i think difficult mm-hmm. in a good way in a kind of she knew yeah. what she wanted and he had to do a lot of work yeah, with her, and they had an on they had an ongoing um, collaboration. Um, he, I believe, uh, costumed her ill fated um, Eurovision concert. Oh, let's recently. not talk about that. That's, so we're just not, we're not going to talk about that. Oh that is, God, but uh, should we? That, no, it's not this gig. No, oh, let's just God. not go there. Yeah, oh, I mean, we're going to move on from that. <laughs> just pretend that never happened. Um, <laughs> So um, I think the French audience are a bit like, what the hell's going on mm-hmm. at this moment? Um, so we go through, uh, we, we're through Material Girl and we're into Cherish, mm-hmm. which is Mermen and a heart. Yes, there's a little video of, um, you see some tails flopping out of the ocean. Yes, and then which the- is references the Cherish video. And here they come. Uh, and then yes. suddenly Madonna, yeah, with the harp, you're a harp player on your neck. Does she do well? I am a harp player. Uh, on this harp? I mean, she's, it's a real harp. It's not a prop harp, but she is not, she's definitely not playing it. Yes. And there's not even really any harp sounds at all. Okay. So it's just, it's definitely just a visual. The thing that I think is kind of amazing about this section is that, um, these are gay mermen. Yeah. There's, there's no, it's, it's unequivocal yeah. and it's, it's affectionate. It's, sweet um it's it's adorable and i think what's interesting about this at that cultural moment was that aids was absolutely at its peak at that point um you know the aids epidemic had absolutely ripped through uh the the um through the gay community and madonna herself had lost many friends uh during that time and i think there's something really kind of subversive and sort of subtly subversive about showing queer joy yeah. and this sort of they're, they're live, they're muscular, they're strong, they're healthy. It's it's a, a representation of gay men that we don't often see, yeah. and I think that is something that that's a sort of moment for me that feels really subversive in the context of what was going on at the time. That yeah. uh, perhaps is kind of not seen so much. Yeah, because um, at the time we, you wouldn't have we, seen any gay men living in that no. kind of joyful way no. at all. And, and, I th- and I think for many people, this would have been the first time perhaps that they had seen um, this kind of very positive representation of, of gay men outside of illness. And another moment that struck me straight after that is um, that she actually wipes the stage because the stage is, that there's the water spilt over the stage. Yeah. And this, this made me think of a moment, uh, this, so this is my other borrowed Madonna story. 
um, which is from a friend who uh, is an older gentleman who uh, around this period um, was a, a model and actor mm-hmm. and a, a successful, a very successful model and actor and um, was uh, at a house party uh, in London around this time and Madonna was a guest at the house party. Oh my God. Um, and what he said, he said the thing, he'd never met her before, but he said the thing that really impressed her, him about her was that uh, a friend of theirs was uh, very sick with AIDS and was uh, really didn't have very much time left, was, was clearly nearing the end of his life. And he said that Madonna went and sat with their friend for the whole evening and just, uh, they just sat very quietly talking. Oh, God. And there was something about that moment where she sort of takes care of the stage, where I think we see an, a, an aspect of her that perhaps we don't normally see. Yeah. And we don't see in the rest of the gig, but also it just uh, reminded me of this moment that this this friend had shared that there's a that, that there was another side to her that perhaps is not really spoken about yeah yeah and then we are straight into get into the groove nice um and it's a and it's a 90s dance uh remaking of it i love a, a 90s dance remaking <laughs> and it's super 90s dance remake. it's super 90s i and i i'm i'm here for Does that she put and her of course gloves on again i can't even remember or she's already got uh, her little uh, fingerless gloves maybe yeah she's got those fingerless gloves and the interesting thing about you know the 90s dance thing is if you listen to for example lady gaga's new album it is a full 90s dance album oh the looks are back oh, on vogue which is coming up pretty soon just the full uh-huh. vogue look is back now like everything yes. they're doing everything about that is is back is back and so we are then from getting to the groove we're into uh, vogue um uh, and which is the last um moment in this art deco section mm-hmm. and um now my feelings on this, I think that I think this is for me actually. I, like I love expressing stuff at the beginning, and there's mm-hmm. lots of moments throughout. But I actually think that that like Vogue in this is the pinnacle, really, of this gig. And I I think it's like the pinnacle of the pinnacle. I actually think that uh, Vogue Live in the Blonde Ambition Tour is the best thing that Madonna's ever done. Yeah, I think it's it the the dancing is phenomenal. Um, the choreography is incredible it's it's emotional because a lot of those uh a lot of the people that she's working with came directly from that that ballroom voguing scene yeah um and you know there there are all sorts of there are all sorts of questions that we could talk about regarding that and appropriation um uh, and you know one of the things that i definitely thought about it was that it's subversive within this context but the thing about voguing was that it I mean, I'm, you know, I'm not from that ballroom scene mm-hmm. at all, so I can't sort of speak for those people. But my my sense is that it wasn't really about being subversive. It was sort of about living yeah. and celebrating. And so there is something about taking it out of that context and into this kind of mainstream stage context that kind of makes it subversive when it wasn't necessarily that to start off with. Yeah. But, um, but I, it's just, I just think it's breathtaking. I don't think from from reading... Uh, interviews with the dancers and from the documentary they've got a whole documentary about just the dancers come out sort of anniversary documentary it doesn't seem like they would echo any of the feeling that their culture had been appropriated it seemed she had like a pretty positive relationship with all of them they weren't just backing dancers they seemed like they were really close yeah and creatively involved as well 
Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so from Vogue, which is just this incredible moment, we're into holiday. So yes. we're, we're, we're basically into the encore. This is the, on- the theme now. of the theme of this section is encore. It is encore. Um, and so we're into holiday, which is, uh, just this sort of frilly. This um, outfit is like, what am I looking at? Moment. It's like, it's black polka dot, like white, yeah. with, like kind of like a flamenco flare. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's just okay, what are you doing this is everything the french are going nuts for it though they're loving it yes that's probably yes. the height of french fashion at this point in time um, the black polka dot yes. flamenco flair <laughs> yeah it's and then we're into um keep it together yeah um which again dancing on chairs yeah looking terrible. effortless it's going absolutely like absolutely incredible full kind of fossy-ish Yes. I think she described it, Middle Earth Self described it as Clockwork Orange meets Fossey, which is pretty yeah. fucking spot on, really. Spot on. And it's, um, it's got this very, um, again, it's a very iconic, very crisp feel to it. Um, for part of it, she's got a fake London accent. Um, so she does this kind of weird fake Cockney accent, which again, uh, a portent of her future living in London. Um, yes. And although it's back, uh, she's back to American now. She's back to American now, so she's... I'm looking but, forward to um, when she starts doing Portuguese. <laughs> yes, but there's this weird... So we've got this kind of, like, weird, like, fake Cockney kind of um, <laughs> Mary Poppins accent going on for no particular reason. <laughs> but the thing that really stood out for me um, is that she says, um, never doubt your family is your... F- uh, never doubt your family is your friends. So that's something that she says during that. And that was another moment that really got me. Particularly, I think, in I the context like this of this like being the like last an end gig. of tour. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and um, it, it, so it felt it feels really uh, poignant. I think that moment, um, and it speaks, I think, of queer families. It speaks of uh, people choosing families outside of you know people going uh, leaving their 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 family context and discovering um, a chosen family. And I just it really got me. So I think yeah. that moment is just really beautiful. And so from there, we're at the end of the, of the concert and then we're, we're into this, uh, sort of section where, um, uh, she, she, she comes on and talks about the fact that it's the last gig yeah. and, um, the, all the stage crew come through. Weirdly, someone throws a bottle of water during her kind of like, we did it speech yeah, at her. I wonder what which that means. Her. I don't know what that means. Uh, I, I don't, it's one of those things where you're like, and why throw a bottle of water? Don't do that. Yeah, um, I've only ever seen that when I saw Daphne and Celeste at Latitude and someone throw a bottle of piss at them. <laughs> or Red Redding. So, poor Daphne and Celeste. Poor Daphne and Celeste, but maybe a little bit. But maybe uh, a little bit, that's fair enough. But you don't, you don't piss bottle Madonna at the end of her world. You don't tour. piss bottle Madonna at the end of the Blonde Ambition tour, I think, essentially. <laughs> what but, were you expecting? Uh, well, yes. <laughs> Yeah, I, I wanted Bon Jovi is basically what that guy was thinking. Um, but uh, so we then have this rundown where um, the full the full cars kind of go through and then we're at the end of the gig. Um, and my goodness, what a journey we have been on. I feel like I've just done a full oh. 57 night tour. Yes. Um, and, and what are your kind of overarching uh, feelings about it? I, uh, I uh, remain surprised uh, and impressed at the depth of uh, the kind of the depth of the feeling and silliness uh, yeah. that she that she created, and also at her skill level. 
There are many dud moments, but yeah. the high moments are so high that uh, you can completely, you can basically forget an entire section. You can, you can forget like, the Dick Tracy moment. Dick Tracy, that entire section is quite long and it goes yeah, it on is. next to each other. Way too long. Yeah. And I've been at plenty of gigs where there isn't a single bad bit or dud section really. Mm. Like there's a, the, mm. there's a slow song mm. where you go for a piss. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, um, it's an iconic yeah, gig. It's an iconic gig. Um, and, uh, for many have argued that it's the, the greatest gig of all time. Uh, Gay Times said it was the greatest gig of all time. Wow. At times. Uh, the enemy said, uh, the genius of the Bond Ambition tour was that it led the way to all of this bold visual expression in terms of, uh, artists that came later and their, their kind of use of, um, of live performance, uh, making room in the pop landscape for artists with ambitious conceptual ideas that provoke discussion and nimbly tread the line between euphoria and danger. <gasps> That's a nice quote. Which is a nice way of, uh, I think, summing up what we, what we experience, because there's this such a fascinating line between the kind of throwaway, playful, goofy popness of it. And then there's really kind of, um, subversive in the context of what was happening then, uh, shocking, deliberately provocative material that kind of this thread that runs through it. Yeah. There's a euphoria of seeing her in that suit at the beginning and then the danger yes. of potentially hearing some electro swing. So that was the Blonde Ambition Tour. That was the Blonde Ambition Tour. And Nick, that was our first episode of season one. Of the show that we don't know what it's called yet, but will by the time it's broadcast. Show. Which, well, so my idea was that we call it Great Gig Girl, but uh, I'm not sure that's what we're going to go with. Great Gig Girl. I'm not sure that's what we're going to go with. Um, So... um, uh, for you, what how, at the end of a at the end of a run? Because you've done pretty long, substantial tours. What yeah. does it feel like for you when you get to the end of a, a run of a tour? Oh, God, that's so interesting because I feel watching this Madonna gig. This feels more like the end of a uh, student theatre piece you'd done when you were like sixteen years old. When you're like, okay. I made so many friends. <laughs> yes. We're so close now. <laughs> It felt like that group of people on stage were all 15 years old and they'd all fallen in love with each other desperately. Yes, Um, yes. Whereas uh, at the end of our runs now, this is my job and I I love uh, Louise, who's the other half of shit theatre. I love Jenny, who's our manager. But sometimes you're like, I'm relieved. I am absolutely delighted to not have to do that again. (laughs) So let's talk about episode two. Episode two, we have coming up for you uh, one of my favourite people and one of Nick's favourite people. Mm-hmm. We are going to go back and we're going to watch Kate Bush's first concert tour. Yes. So we are going to look at um, what became known as the Tour of Life, which was in uh, 1979. Um, and I've never watched this before, so I'm excited to see it. But I uh, was able to go to the um, the... the the uh, most recent Kate Bush gigs. So there's only been two tours that she's done and I was lucky enough to go to the second one, which was like, oh my God, the most incredible experience. But um, No spoilers, Nick. No spoilers, but I am excited to talk about and look at the the tour of life, the Kate Bush tour from 1979. So that will be episode two. Thank you so much for talking with me about uh, the Blonde Ambition tour. Thank you so much to you, Nick. And thank you, everyone, for listening. We will see you next time. Yes, see you next time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the first episode of Geek It Up. And next time we are talking about... 
Kate Bush. Kate Bush. Oh, what a show. I'm so excited to talk about it. I'm so excited for people to join us. And also, if you wanted to join us in other platforms, you can follow us on Instagram. We are at Gig It Up Podcast. Uh, we'll post some adorable pictures of Nick's face on there for you to oh. enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> we, hope you, we hope you all have a lovely week. And please join us next time. Thanks so much for listening. Bye. Bye.